1: Hopefully, 212, how to communicate efficiently in the workplace. This is the episode I mentioned in the last episode that was supposed to be 210. It got pushed back because we wanted to add some stories and add some flair and have like sort of a 50 50 show note. So, this episode is a combination of Mike and my effort uh, to bring you. Some communication tips and tricks in for the workplace. We're gonna have the odd little story, whether it be a horror story, a funny story, or whatever. The odd little story I'm sure will crop up in between all this type of stuff. And we're also gonna be talking about why communication is important, and then some just sort of more practical advice. So things like how to phrase your emails, use point form versus this. Takeaways or not, you know how reliable are you in in your emails? Um, and also discussing sort of two or three key areas where communications seem to break down, at least in my experience. Um, that's my segment that I made up there. so but Mike has written the beginning of this episode. so Mike, please, sir, take us away.
2: Yeah, I'm back. I missed an episode which barely ever happens. I think this is like the second time or something like that where we have to do a solo episode without me. Um, but yeah, it's it's nice to be back and let's get right into how to communicate effectively in the workplace. First thing is, why is that important? Honestly, like, why is it important for us to communicate? You think that like, hey, I can just do my job and everyone should just know what I'm doing and that's it. But obviously, we made this episode. That's not the case. Uh, it's, in fact, very much different from the case. It's in my opinion, and I don't I don't have any empirical facts to back this up. I think it's almost as important as your performance. So knowing how to communicate properly whether that be the cadence of communication, whether that be the type of the style of communication that you have is as important as how well you do your job. And let me break that down a little bit. So the people that need to know how you're doing are the stakeholders, right, of a project. So whether that be the client, if it's a freelancing project, or whether that be your managers, whether that be the executives of the firm, whether that be just just the people that you're working with for like the marketing department or something like that, they are the ones that need to know what's going on with the project, right? The only way they know what's it's going on is through communication of some sorts. They don't know what you've done in the code to make their stuff work. Like just, just because your code go burr doesn't mean that your immediate supervisor or your non-technical leads know that your code is really well-written. They don't care that you're, you've named your variables perfectly. What they do care about is that if, You, that the, what they've asked for is working. What you've done, you've done it in a timely manner that it may be sustainable to a certain degree. Like, so people after you can go in and uh, repair it, but they don't really care about that, honestly. Um, so that's where communication comes in. You need to be able to convey the results of your work effectively and timely so that the people that decide if you're going to be doing work, more work or not for them. We'll continue to do that. We'll continue to give you that opportunity. So that's a basic understanding of why communication is important on a very, on that level. Communicating predictively and consistently is also really, really key. And I'll get into like some tips and strategies for that shortly. But as we've moved into a more async or work from home environment, this communication becomes doubly important, right? Because there's no, Stop by your desk to check in how you're doing. Uh, there's, there's no way to, you know, look over your shoulder. Not that that's a really good way of doing it anyway. I'm very much up for, for work from home, but there are things in the office that managers were able to do to, to detect, to see how a progress is moving along that they are no longer able to do in a work from home setting. So if you want to continue to work from home, you have to be able to communicate what you're doing effectively. That's another really big part of the of the communication aspect because I think a lot of times the breakdown that happens with like, hey, let's get everyone back to the office. Some of it is to do with the fact that they have office buildings and they need people to populate those office buildings. So it's not a waste of money. Nothing you can do about that. That happens. But some of the times it's just because they're not getting the productivity out of their team or they're not getting the, the metrics out of their team that they need. And usually that's due to communication. Because in an office, you can go up to Joe's desk and Joe will tell you an answer. But from home, you have to message Joe. And if Joe doesn't get back to you in two days, then you don't have the answer. You're blocked. It could lead to a trickle down effect in 15 different people. And now Joe has held up the, the production of the project. Like this stuff happens all the time. And especially when we just shifted to work from home. That was happening everywhere and people were struggling and trying to figure out a system in place like how often do you need to respond? Who Like they were trying to like monitor your computer even being like making sure that you're there with the mouse movements and stuff. All of that was put in place because people weren't communicating properly. And some of it was because people were dicking around on their computers. I really very much don't believe in that kind of management. I think there has to be trust in place and not like a babysitter Where you sit there and wait and watch people move mouse move a mouse but to have that trust you have to be able to have a team that can communicate effectively like if i have a a worker let's just say the worst word ever but like a 10x engineer right uh and they they do amazing code they write amazing code but they're not able to answer questions in a timely manner in a work from home environment they're almost useless now I say almost because you can work around people like that as a manager, but you have to be a very good manager to be able to manage an employee that can't communicate with employees that can. So you have to like be the in between between the two. So if the if the guy answers only or the guy or girl answers once in a in a, in a month or once in a week, but he pr- provides amazing code, there are ways around that. But anyway, like it, regardless, it's better to be a good communicator. And provide your insights, provide your time, your, your timely communication in a, in a well structured manner that also doesn't overwhelm you. That's the other thing that I want to talk about because work from home isn't, has another case where you can have too much communication, a million different messages coming in every second. How are you ever going to do work? So I'll talk about that in a second too.
1: I had uh, something to ask you as well, though. So obviously work from home does add an async aspect to work to just working but what do you think and i think i already know the answer but what do you think of these pieces of software that emulate the office environment they track the worker to varying degrees like as if they're moving their mouse a certain amount of times or are they typing constantly maybe they have to have their camera on and people have to drop in we've, we've covered i think we covered this either in part or maybe maybe not on the air i don't remember When work from home became very prominent during uh, the lockdowns and such. And so, you know, we I think we kind of commented either publicly or not that we kind of felt like these were too restrictive, but they come in varying degrees. You don't have to track the person's mouse necessarily or the keyboard. Maybe you don't have to have the camera on, but you could have a certain policy with an online indicator so that a, a manager says, you know, when I message you from nine to five, like you have to answer within X amount of time or something like that to emulate. Like, what do you think about emulating the office environment digitally? Is that good or bad for work from home? Is it a step
2: backwards? Is it a step forward? Is it just a way to do it? So my take on this, and this is a personal take, is that I really, really don't like tracking software at all. I think that you're Babying their employees, you're 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 treating them like children. You're not you're you're showing no trust, and that could go the other way for you as well, right? I don't I don't even like time tracking. Like I don't like timesheets. I there obviously is a reason for them, and I'll I'll get into that in a second. But I don't like the tracking software. I don't like timesheets. I very much want to have belief that the employee that I hire or the employee that I'm managing is able to perform their job in a timely manner and communicate what they're doing and be able to do it on their own. That's my hope, right? And in fact, when I'm – one of the main things that I do in an interview process or in the probationary period is I test that. Not your skills. Your skills are great. Like, yeah, you can build those up. But if you're not able to communicate effectively, if you're not able to manage yourself effectively without without micromanagement of that kind, like what you just mentioned, Matt, with time tracking software, then it's just not a good fit for me personally as a lead or as a manager or anything like that or my company, anything like that. So I'm, I'm much more focused on hiring people that can manage themselves than I am on figuring out what software works to get people, to get anyone that can't manage themselves into my company. Right. And that, that's why. Obviously, the software exists for a reason. There are certain types of employees, types of people I'm sure that benefit from that software. Maybe some people even like the structure. I don't know. I haven't met those people, but I'm sure there are out there, right? But for me, I don't want to work in that environment and I, don't, I would never intentionally put people into that environment as well.
1: Well, one thing I, I noticed actually is I used to work in a factory and one of the things that I disagreed with there was that, you were paid per hour. Now, that's not the thing I disagreed with, but you you clocked in, clocked out. So you're paid per hour for that work, whatever. That just sort of comes with the territory of that sort of job. But when something went wrong, like as if you were – let's give an example. Like you were hired to uh, bring boxes from the conveyor belt onto a skid, and that's what you do. And something goes wrong mechanically, and the entire department is shut down. I remember they would get us sort of – some cleaning cloths and some sanit- like sanitizing uh, chemical or whatever. And they would be like, Oh, you just have to wipe stuff down. And it was a worthless job that if you didn't do it, like there was no instruction. It wasn't like these things need to be cleaned and this and that. It was very much a, you just have to be seen working. You don't want a supervisor to see you just standing around because you're supposed to be getting paid for this. And I always thought to myself, this is a weird environment because like with 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 your sort of self-starter employee, self-managing employee, and I agree with your take, when you hire one of those people, you're paying them, at least in my opinion, to do a job. Like I need you to manage my databases. And as long as you manage my databases, I don't care whether it takes 10 minutes or 10 hours. This is the pay that I'm comfortable with paying and you've agreed to be paid that. So that's it. And so you can go and manage the databases as you will. And there's going to be some good days, some bad days, some short days, some long days, but that's just sort of the way it is. I'm paying you to manage these databases. When I'm at that place, it's sort of more like they're renting my time or something. So they've rented me my time for like eight hours. And so they've rented my labor and I just need to wipe down machines now. But like, does that benefit the company in any capacity? Not that I want to stand around. And be lazy, but it just felt really fake or something to me where it's like, hey, you guys are just standing around chatting. Like, don't do that. The instant the line breaks, just get in there and start wiping stuff down. And I always kind of thought, like, who's this benefiting? It's one thing if they're like, hey, we need help on this other area of the plant. Would you go help them? And you'd say, no, right? You're being paid per hour. So it's like, you just kind of go where you're told, more or less. But being doing fake work for doing fake work so that it doesn't look like you're lazy when you haven't been reprimanded or in gotten in trouble for not doing the job you've been hired to do just seems childish or foolish or something I don't know I don't I don't agree with it and and it's not just the one place I worked either I heard I heard this cuz this is when we we're in college so it's not like we had uh many skills many people worked in general labor jobs and we heard this all the time. We had a a friend that worked in an inventory company and it was this it was a similar similar circumstance where even if you finished your count early, you know, you had to go and pretend you were doing something. And that just doesn't like why pretend pretend to do something like, wow, this is so much better. Thank you. Like what
2: yep. who cares? Yep, exactly. And when an employee doesn't want to do work, they're going to find innovative ways not to do that work. Like I have I don't know, I, many friends and family that have that time, that tracking software that where it like it tracks your mouse movements, every single one of them, and I say every single one, and I mean every single one, will go do something off the computer, come back to the computer, shake their mouse, go do something off the computer. It doesn't work. The software does not work on a anecdotal level. I don't want to say that it doesn't work across the board because I don't have any statistics to prove it. I'm sure that the people selling the software will tell you it works amazingly, right? But has there been an independent study done on if this software works or not? I don't know. Having Different ways to track
1: it. too though, right? Because it's like so, th- those pieces of software where they can drop in. It's, it's also that matters. If, if your relative was on that where at any point a supervisor can just click video call and you don't have to press answer. It just turns on the camera and they can just see you. Then it's like they could they could very quickly check and be like this person's not at their desk.
2: Yeah, and again, you, you, your excuse could be you're in the bathroom, but I guess they could say like you should have put your status as in the bathroom anyway. Like it's just it's for the most part, the, the, at least the people that I've talked to will try to get around it, so it doesn't matter. So I would not ever use that software, and I would never work in a company as long as I I can that uses software like that, I will always push back on it and stuff. So that's my take on it. But having said that, let's jump right into some tips and strategies that I have for being a better communicator. And this will go across, you know, your typical, regular communication of emails and messages and stuff like that, all the way to presenting to a group, right, like presenting a presentation or your project or your uh, in a stand up even because I know that can be intimidating, just having, you know, a status report, all that stuff. So there's no one way to really handle communications. It very much hinges on your role in the company and on the current situation of a project. So for example, if you're a manager, you're more likely to have to respond promptly, right? Because a manager, all they're there for is to facilitate communication to make sure that no one is blocked. That's the reality of it. If there's a recent deployment, like let's say you're a developer and you just deployed your app or you deployed the website. The intention is, the intention would be that in your mindset, you should be expecting to receive communications, right? So you should be ready to receive emergency of communication or like, you know, down alerts or something like that. Uh, every situation will be different. If it's the middle of a sprint, for instance, so like you're just working on code, there's no deployments, then you should know that, Hey, there's probably not going to be any emergencies. I can have more focus time. I can have more adaptability. I can expect less communication. So you, I think it's important to understand the situation in a communicate, in a, in a company where you are in your team and adjust your communication patterns accordingly because a lot of times you're going to go online and read like communication systems. One of them is batching, right? And this is a, it's a good system where you can set times during the day where you will respond to messages and emails. So, you know, in the morning, in the afternoon, and maybe before you log off. Well, that's a really popular one. And that's great. It works. But it's super key to understand that in some situations, like I was saying before, like the deployments, you need to be adaptable. And be okay with being able to communicate more promptly all of a sudden. You can't be set in your ways no matter what the situation is. I think that this one's like a a weird one to start off on. But I think it's a really important one because I've seen people that are really set in their ways. And it can really backfire on you because everyone knows – let's say everyone knows that you respond at 12. But there's an emergency that happens. They can't – if they can't get a hold of you, then you become a liability to the company. And therefore, in the next time that they have to do layoffs, are they going to reach out to – are they going like, to extend the person that's, uh responds immediately in an emergency situation? Or are they going to extend the person that's a liability in an emergency situation? All things equal, right? So those are the kinds of things you have to think about a little bit. And just understand that the stake of the project, right? Sometimes, if it, again, like I said, if, if it's in the middle of the sprint, there's no deployment, it's okay to be structured. It's actually good to be structured. It's actually good to avoid constant communication. So that's, it's important to have both perspectives.
1: This is, this is especially true. This is especially true when, um, uh oh, hello? Yep. Oh no. Hello?
2: <laughs> yep, yeah, I can hear you.
1: Everything's frozen. I can hear Mike. But okay. everything is absolutely frozen. It. OK, well, anyway, hopefully it hopefully it continues to record. But anyway, uh, what I was going to say is um maybe I'm a liability here uh, when when the number one thing I think when it comes to managers and stuff like that answering quickly, if you are being, say, promoted to a manager for the first time or whatever, you really should take a look at what you are blocking potentially by not answering. Sometimes you're a manager and you'll be thrown onto a thread, but ultimately say the person above you, maybe a director, uh, will just be the person that is the blocker. And so if you don't answer right away, you may not be, you know, the biggest liability. Maybe you will be. It depends on your company culture. But if you are a person that's blocking something like, for example, you need to restore from backup, like your your developers need to restore from backup and you need to give the go ahead and you don't answer for two days. Then they couldn't have restored from backup for two days. And that's when you're going to show up on a lot of companies' radars. But if you're just a person that they throw on the thread and you're more or less there for communications between, say, the director and the team, and you sort of filter things through, you know, debate with the director, and then you just pass things on, maybe it's not, you know, super crucial that you'd answer right away. But just be aware of things that you yourself would be blocking because there's nothing worse than in an emergency situation, something that could be fixed in five minutes gets delayed for 48 hours. Then people are going to be like, uh oh, <laughs> what's this? You know, what's going on here? What's, what's this person doing?
2: Yep. Contextual awareness and awareness of where you're critical is so key. And I think a lot of engineers really lack that kind of awareness and it becomes a problem. Like I've I've per- like what you've described right there Matt, I've personally lived through probably like a dozen times where the critical person in the process has been unavailable for an extended period of time and we've had to worst case scenario put in a hack that breaks something else just to get around something that they could have fixed in a minute. Right? Just because, you know, it, it, they were not reachable. So, it, it happened. like, listen, you can be not reachable. That That's a – like, you know, you can go on vacation. That's not an issue. You can go on vacation where you don't have a phone. But when you go on vacation and you don't have a phone, before you leave for vacation, make sure that the people that are going to be taking over have all the details for anything that can go wrong. In, that you're in charge of, obviously, not everything in the world. But if you have, like, a deployment that you have scheduled that and just let them know, like, hey, I have a deployment scheduled – this is what's going to be in it. This is what can go wrong. Have like, have an out of office plan. And therefore you can leave and you'll be, you'll be fine. You don't need to worry about it. Right? It's just a lot of times that doesn't happen effectively. And your, your team is left with trying to piece stuff together and it's an issue. And then if it's not a vacation thing where it's just like end of the day thing, it sucks that we have to be always connected and it shouldn't be the case. And really, I'm just going to talk about it right now. That's my next point is like the reliability of a per- of your communication is really important here, right? Let's say you do have situations that happened in an emergency. Like if you're in charge of the site and it goes down and you're the only one that has the keys, not a good thing to have – Not a good situation to be in, but it's a situation that happens. There has to be a way for you to be contacted in that emergency. And it shouldn't be the typical communication patterns. It shouldn't be like a Slack message that you shouldn't be monitoring when you're offline. It should be like, hey, these stakeholders, so these like owner, manager, whatever, have access to your personal device or your personal cell phone. And their only time they're allowed to call it is in this particular situation if an emergency goes down. Therefore, you shouldn't be bothered on your time off. Unless something actually has exploded. Now, it's it's a tough one because again, like there should be, you should be able to like completely sign off and completely disconnect. But the only way you can do that is if you've come up with a good strategy or a good other, like if you have cross training and your team is ready to take on the responsibilities when you're not around. So that's a very good motivator for you to have that cross training and make sure that there's other people that can do what you can do. Because I know a lot of us try to protect our intellectual property, uh, in quotes, but realistically, you're just ma- giving yourself more headaches and giving yourself the opportunity to get called on a vacation, right? So, that's where you have to contextually be aware of the situation that you're leaving your, your team in if you're away or if you're not responding for six hours or eight hours or 12 hours, Right
1: the thing the thing here, too, is that it's a delicate balance because for us, for example, Mike and I are customer facing. So we have a little web agency. We do work for clients and some of those clients do not pay for maintenance or, you know, maybe they do pay for maintenance. But there's a 72 hour answer where we'll say, well, you know, we'll take up to 72 hours to answer. But like the reason why you're paying for maintenance is because we do your updates or like whatever it is, whatever is in the agreement. And. There will be clients that don't pay for maintenance, that do call and text and email in an emergency or not an emergency, but as if there's an emergency, whether it's true or not. And, you know, you really are not obligated necessarily to help them unless you have an obligation to help them, like an agreement, verbal or otherwise, those type of things. Um, Because the way we look at it is, you know, um, imagine you got your – plumbing fixed by some random plumber last year and it works fine, whatever. And then something goes wrong with it in a year. You might call that person cause you're familiar with them, but they, but you probably aren't going to be shocked to hear that they may not be available for a day or two or that they're on vacation and it's a sole proprietorship and they don't, they don't have, they, they can't come back from wherever to fix your plumbing. And so you just go and call another plumber and I think with tech, a lot of the time, that sort of relationship between customer and worker, let's say, or, or or tech professional more specifically, that relationship gets skewed where because tech is a thing that needs to be up all the time, is complex, is difficult to maintain, has a lot of moving parts, has a lot of problems that can happen that raise eyebrows and confuse even the most. Seasoned devs and seasoned technicians because of that, it feels as though sometimes that you know you're you have to be on call all the time. What happens if something goes wrong what happens if what happens what happens but unless you have some sort of obligation you you know you've said you're going to do it, you have a warranty there's a law that's telling you you have that you're obligated to do it for some reason they can go to another repair person we've gone to we have a usual person that we deal with for say hvac if that person is unavailable we will call another person there's there's nothing that's holding us to staying with that hvac person and there's nothing that is holding that hvac person necessarily to us so you know again depending on your laws and what you've signed and what you've verbally agreed to and this and that and the other thing uh, if there is no obligation, then there just is no obligation. If you built someone's site seven years ago and they, you, they paid you once and they never paid you again, do you have an obligation to fix it when some API gives out or when the, when the PHP version that that site requires gets completely deprecated and removed from the hosting service that they use? And the site starts acting funny because the PHP that it's used to is gone. Is that your problem? Not really. So what I mean is, is not necessarily to ignore that person. I'm not saying to give bad customer service. But if you were on a vacation, you know, and talking in the same vein as Mike, where he doesn't want or he's like, you know, sort of raising an eyebrow to the constant connectivity, like, you know, do you need to be constantly connected? Do you not? For incidents like that, you really don't need to be constantly connected because, like, that person can go to another technician. That person can find someone else on a freelancing site. There's nothing holding them back from doing that. So, like, at least for me anyway, like, I need to remind myself of that sometimes because, like, I even told Mike, it's like, if I see that there's a phone call that's come in and it's after hours, but I see it, I have to make the – the effort to call back or text back or something cuz i'll worry about it and i feel as though a lot of people out there have that same worry but yeah there's a value in being constantly connected especially if you're a person that's blocking things but if you're a per- if you're in a situation in which it's not your responsibility and someone's trying to throw it at you i mean maybe you should just take that time to disconnect because how can we be connected 24/7 we do need to sleep at some point you know we we're, most of us are like working to live not living to work type of thing so it's just something it's just something that i notice in tech especially because we put so much effort into keeping things live 24/7 it, it, we can lose sight of the fact that hang on a second you know, if I don't want this to be my my responsibility, it, it isn't my responsibility. I don't need to repair this eight year old site in seconds for this person because they paid me seven hundred dollars six six seven years ago. That's just not that's just not how generally things work unless there's some law where you live that forces that.
2: Yep, exactly. I think that that's a good way to kind of put the balance of this, right? You don't want to have people take advantage of you. And you also don't want to put yourself in a situation where these emergency calls are consistent. Like when I say that, you know, you have a deployment and you're in charge of whatever, like something's happening where you need to be aware that you can't just disconnect. That shouldn't be happening every day. That should be a, you know, either a monthly thing, like once a month or something like that, or once in a while. Like you shouldn't have a situation where you have to be aware of your of the situa, of a situation on a consistent basis. If it's happening like consistently, that's a problem. That's a problem that is not a communication problem. That's a systematic problem within the company. So you need to figure out a way to cross train. You need to figure out a way to stop the emergencies from happening. Cause obviously if there's a constant outage of your site, you need to rethink your deployment strategy or something, rethink your technology stack, everything, uh, because no one can like, Persistently survive that for a consistent amount of time. Like you're, you're going to burn out. You need to have a way to disconnect. If you're, if you can't disconnect every day for, you know, months on end, it's, it's a serious problem. So again, setting boundaries is also a very important step to that, right? You need to be able to tell your managers that, Hey, like you can't call me at 9 PM every day when you see a, a downtick in traffic. Like that's not something you can do and have me still be productive the next day. Because now I'm worrying the whole night, now I'm worrying the whole day, now I'm working the entire time because your call has stopped me from relaxing and it has made me go back into work mode and now I can't like, you know, clock down, now I can't go to sleep till like 1 a.m., whatever. Do whatever you can to get yourself out of that situation and I'm not saying quit, I'm saying adjust it, talk to people, try to make everything work.
1: But there's something else too like with that just as a quick little addition is that like – when you're interrupted like that, at least when I'm interrupted like that, there comes a thing where I'm like, well, I may as well. And then I just go to my computer and work for like three, four hours. Mm-hmm. Like I'm, I'm in this mode, so I may as well get this other stuff done. And, and, and the sad thing about that is it's not like I'm getting three hours ahead for tomorrow. And in, in many cases, I'm still going to work the same amount of hours the next day. It's just that I've done three hours extra work the the previous day. <laughs> like or and like most today. of the time
2: it's not paid for.
1: <laughs> most of the time it's not paid for. Yeah, it's yeah, a pretty. uh I mean it's a pretty weird balance to strike.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I think I think you're right. Because everything is up twenty four hours a day, it's really tough to get that those boundaries set. But it, it is an important process that you need to actively pursue. But let's say that you're in a situation where it's not that crazy. I think the next thing that you really have to worry about is just to be reliable. When when I see an employee like when when I'm first like onboarding an employee, the first thing I tell them is, hey, just make sure that you're responding to your messages, right? Like you're going to get some questions and you're going to have some questions as well. And that's really key too. just make sure that you're responding to them in a consistent basis. And I'm not saying as soon as a message appears on your screen, respond to it. I'm saying like if you're if you're busy with work and you have a lot of coding to do, set aside two or three times during the day where you're going to answer messages and try to keep that timing consistent because then if i know that you're going to be answering messages at 12 then i can message you and i don't have to worry that you're not reading it or anything like that because i know you'll get to it at 12 or i know you'll get to it at 2 p.m. It doesn't bother me it's not urgent most of the time things are not urgent that's the reality but if i'm messaging you and you sporadically message me a day later or two days later or three days later and or you do like a, a sporadic set of once a week communication or something like that. I know some people probably do that. It's really difficult for me to progress in my tasks if I'm relying on you. Again, it's that like that team effort, like everyone has to be okay with communicating with each other to push the project forward. So being able to answer questions in a consistent basis and be reliable in communication aspect is a huge plus. It's a huge win for the company, for the team. And I, I, I can't like the, the, the reason why this sounds kind of uh, to a lot of people, this sound might sound ridiculous. And like, why am I even saying it? Obviously, I'm going to reply to messages that are sent to me if I'm hired, but it's not like it on a consistent basis on teams that I'm part of. I have problems with communication. I have people that will disappear for a day because we're working from home. They can't, there's not much you can do about it. I'll have people that will answer at like 3 a.m. Once a day, which is okay. Like if it's consistent, I guess it's okay. But sometimes like, sometimes it's not consistent. Sometimes they'll answer like three times a day. And then sometimes they'll answer once at 3 a.m. And then sometimes they'll answer four times, five times, seven times a day. I think the consistency is what matters and the reliability. Because I can, I can almost program that into my tickets. Like if I, if I'm relying on you and I know that you're going to be answering at 12, I can be like, okay, well, this ticket will take me an extra hour. Cause I have to wait for a response. That's fine. No big deal, but I'll have that response at that time and then I'll move on. So it's just the reliability really makes it a lot easier to work, especially asynchronously and from home. Uh, Because if I don't have that, then it's just tough. But once a day is actually okay too. Like I know some teams that work very strictly asynchronously will only have a once a day standing time when all questions are answered, all questions are asked. Or all, like all the questions that are asked are answered. And then that there's like a, a, you know, a 15 minute window of communication open where people have to be at their chat programs um, where you can have a little chatter or you could just schedule a chat with someone. But the thing, the thing,
1: too, yeah. is like with with all this type of stuff, too, is there's there's a great there's a great deal of value in just sending a quick message that says something like, hey, I'm late or hey, sorry, I'm I'm doing a presentation today. and. At the very least, you know, like, okay, this person's not gonna answer, or oh, this is why this person isn't answering. And you're not wondering, did they get it? Did they miss it? Et cetera, et cetera. It's just a matter of being it's a matter of just kind of like just quickly being up front, like, hey, sorry, you know, I I'm I'm gonna miss today, I'm sick, or whatever it is. Because then like, even if you're gonna miss something big and that sucks and you know you feel bad for the team, or like you've messed something up for the team leaving them hanging and missing it is
2: way worse way worse
1: and we we've noticed like this a lot um recently like just in Canada right now there's like a big uh, boom or at least in our region in Canada there's a big boom of for uh, home reno and we've been trying to call some people to do a home reno uh, for us and quite literally people will say hey i'll be there on thursday no, like they'll even sometimes lead you on, though. You'll get text messages and calls all the way to Thursday. There's rolls around. They don't show up. No call, no text. Don't hear about them. Don't hear from them ever again. And, it, and it's so strange to me that like, why wouldn't they just say, hey, we're too busy. Sorry, I understand that you're busy, but even just leaving a voicemail message that says we're not taking jobs at this time or even better, how about you just not lead me on? And I think those are the worst sort of types of communication that you could do with a team, where you're, you know, you're constantly saying, "Hey, you know, I'll be there in ten minutes. I'll be there in ten minutes, or I'll be there in fifteen minutes. I'll be there in ten minutes, fifteen minutes, twenty minutes, to thirty minutes." And then the team is like, especially if Mike's saying, where everyone's working asynchronously, even across time zones. Now everyone's there for two hours instead of one hour. You're showing up like day late, dollar short, basically. And then you've basically blocked time for them. You're probably not prepared because you're in a rush. It's just better to say, hey, sorry, I'm late. I'm stuck in traffic. Can't make it today. If there's some sort of consequence of that, there's some sort of consequence of that. But at least the communication and what was happening was clear.
2: Yeah, I don't think like in my time as a developer on different teams, I don't think I've ever seen a consequence, like a a serious consequence of someone saying they're sick or they're going to be late or something. I have seen a consequence of people not responding. <laughs> like, that's just the reality. So you're, you're 100% right. A response of any kind is better than no response. And, uh, it's just key to, again, it's just key to have that back and forth communication. Like, it's, it's really important to be okay with doing that. And I, I think a lot of people struggle with that. And I, honestly, and I'll just be blatantly honest here, I struggle with it sometimes too. Like, I, I have some people that I probably need to reach back out to and say sorry because I kind of led them on. There's some time. There are some projects that we like. I could have been working on, but uh, I just got way too busy and I did not respond to them. Just reality. I didn't do it. I need to probably reach out. And so here's a reminder for everyone else: reach out to those people that you didn't follow up with or follow back, respond to, because yeah, it's a. Bit, it might have been a long time, but that relationship can still be salvaged if you kind of reach out and apologize and explain the situation, because it sucks. Like it sucks for that person too. Cause like, they don't know what happened. You don't, you didn't update them. Now they have to go find someone else. That's fine. Like it's the reality, but it does suck.
1: I'm just blunt with stuff too. Like if I, if I, the reason why actually we missed last week's episode or Mike, missed last week's episode is because I scheduled a bunch of stuff for quote unquote, the beginning of the week and then realized the beginning of the week started on Tuesday and that's when we were going to record. And so like, I just told him that and it was like, I'm going to make my own video or make my own episode. Cause we're not going to miss a week cause I messed up. Sorry. Then that's it. You know what I mean? And it's like, I do that with all kind of social interactions for the most part, unless I'm trying to like skirt my way around, like not revealing a surprise party or something, (laughs) but like, which I have done recently, but you know, like little things like that are kind of normal, but it's sort of like, I just tell people like, sorry, I missed this. And even if it's, you know, going to anger them and you know, they're going to be pissed. It's like, I'd rather them be pissed for a day that I forgot to do something for them. Than to be like, oh, you know, I, I did it and I sent it, but, I, you know, it got stuck somewhere or whatever. Like, I just say exactly what happened. Hey, sorry, this happened.
2: Yeah, and that's way better. Like, I I don't know. Like, yeah, some people can get pissed at that, but I I 100% agree. I don't think it's, it's going to be a game changer. And if it is, then you wouldn't want to be in a relationship with that person anyway. Like, it, again, if it's happening every week. Like if I were to miss the podcast every week and I were every week come to you and be like, hey, I have this excuse for missing the podcast and it happens like eight weeks in a row, there's going to be a problem there regardless no, of whatever me, yeah. I'm saying. Yeah, whatever. But like once in a while, it's not like shit happens. Stuff, stuff is going on. No one's going to care. Like it's just – it happens. People get sick. Your kid gets sick. Your dog gets sick. Stuff happens. You Even if it's an stuff. emergency. Yeah. <laughs> Like even if you're you're part of the deployment, you can move a deployment back a day. I think that's something that I'm trying to establish myself a lot in the roles that I'm in. Is like there's a lot of false urgency everywhere. Where like if we don't get this feature out today, then that's it. No, it's not it. Like if if you know if Joe is sick and he's key and pivotal to pivotal to get this feature out. Like we're not gonna be pushing this feature out until he's back. That's just the reality of it. Like you're gonna have to tell the business people that they're gonna have to wait another day. Nothing will happen. If we push it out and we don't have Joe and something goes wrong, we're screwed. You so. know, <laughs> this, this is an example of this
1: actually that just just happened to me was uh, it was a long weekend here in Canada. So Monday was that was a holiday. And like uh, this just happened where a, a client called me on Thursday and was like, hey, we're, you know, I want to do this, 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 this. I am going to call you tomorrow to finalize it. And I made it clear. It's like, hey, it's the weekend, but it's also the long weekend. Plus, I'm gone for an extra day. And even though in this call, it was presented with urgency, like, hey, I'm going to confirm this tomorrow. You're going to do this because this is big. I need this like right away right now. Come on, let's do it. Um, I just said, like, hey, I'm, I'm gone for these four days and I'm going to put it out of office notifications, whatever. And he was like, all right, like, then we have to like literally verbatim, like, then we have to wait for you. Like, everyone has to wait for Matt then. And I was like, that's fine you know it's a long weekend everyone knows that we're all in Canada here for this particular project I'm not around I'm taking one vacation day after that's it and the thing was is I was getting phone calls from this person on the first day back or on the on the the extra day off that I had which I didn't get cuz I didn't bring the, my work phone with me but there wasn't any sort of disparity or anger there because even though he was trying to engage me and trying to call me he knew I wasn't there I just was clear. It wasn't like I'm going to be like sheepishly be like, yeah, I'll be back after the long weekend and then be like, man, I, I, maybe I should just work that extra day that I took off. It's like, no, I'm, I'm gone this thing. Like you waited to the last minute. Now I'm gone for four days. That's like the way of the road in this case. And that's it. So it works. Like I think that was maybe one of the first times I've ever just been super blunt up front with a client. Cause you're I'm always like sheepishly worried, like, oh my god, like what are they gonna do? But this time I was just like, no, man, like I'm I'm gone. Like I'm super busy this weekend and I'm I'm gone. Sorry. And it just worked. <laughs> so I mean, honesty and being clear in communicative things, even when things suck or may piss somebody off, it's just in my experience way better than trying to like like oh i'll be there and then making an excuse that day being like oh i, I can't be there it's like that's starting to get a little bit ridiculous like if i can't be there i can't be there
2: yep 100 percent agreed but i think we've got the whole reliability honesty just in general make sure that you know when to communicate and how to communicate be contextually around us down so matt i think you have some tips as well that you wanted to share
1: yeah so um I have uh, three three tips here, actually. And, and the first one is be detailed where it matters. So my goal with each of my emails um, and other communications as well is to try to prevent a back and forth that could be condensed into, say, one email. So, for example, if I were just if I were to just send you the meeting date and not the time, you need to know both of those things in order to show up. And so you would have to engage me and there would have to be an, an an additional exchange of varying length to get the time out of me so i'll try to include the date and time in there now that's the one of the more basic examples but when we're talking about technical things spec sheets and the whole you know everything else i try to ensure that all the information's there including like hey this is how i this is how we connect this is how we do this this is how we do that like all kinds of all kinds of like bits and pieces that I think they would want and and do. Now, the thing is, is that it sounds like I'm rambling and it is because the caveat here is it's easy to blow these communications way out of the water where I'm giving these people the connection details, the database details, this, that, this, that, this, that. And it's, a, it's like a laundry list of things and little tiny things that could be bullet points will be blown up into paragraphs. And that's not – what we want because people aren't going to read those paragraphs 90% of the time. So what do I do to combat this and sort of make my, my emails detailed where it matters, but not super condensed with information is I think of what a person's inquiries may be in almost an FAQ or a frequently asked questions manner. So for example, I may determine what questions they may ask, like, Hey, you know, where are the credentials for that? Uh, what's the url what time so if i'm presenting a problem with something i'll be like this you know photo gallery is down we have a serious problem blah 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 and then in paragraph form explain the problem and then I, and below that i might just say this problem is located at url this credentials can be found here this is the data store in which these these files are found these are the the image formats that are allowed on this plugin and then that's it so i try to keep These question answers that I've come up with, like these FAQ questions, I kind of just put the answers in quick, quick succession so someone can refer to them and they don't necessarily have to come back to me about it. Next one here is in the face of. Um, overwhelming details. So obviously, in tech, like I've already mentioned, uh, sometimes you're working with something that's just filled with technical details, like sending reports, sending and gathering logs, sending spec sheets, and those type of things to colleagues. When you do this, oftentimes it's due to troubleshooting. You're trying to solve something that's particularly bizarre, and you can't quite get it get it fixed. And while it's important, obviously, to keep things. Specifically, communication straight to the point to avoid confusion and to avoid talking about like we're not going to talk about you know the installation of desks in the same thread where we're like computer fans are failing all over the world like it's it's too you know they're not going to do that so in the face of these overwhelming details, what I do is I like to gather everything that I think the person may need and then write bullet points on things that I specifically think they'll need. So for example, we're trying to troubleshoot a server that's crashing. I extract the logs. The logs are 40 pages. Okay. This person's more of a specialist than me. That's why they've been engaged. I don't know exactly what they need, but I go and I look through the logs and I find the section with the errors and it's on page 10. I'm going to put in here's like, this is my email. The, here's the logs that you requested. I've attached them. They're in a PDF. They're ten pages long. I believe the main takeaways are bullet points. I be, there's an error on page ten. Sometimes I'll even copy paste the error if it's short enough right into the email. I believe this is where the error may be. All ten pages of the logs are are uh, attached in case this is not what you're looking for. Done. That's it. That way, there I'm not blocking. Where if I were to just give them the tenth page. Just tell them the error, and then that isn't the problem. I don't want to be the person blocking, so I'm going to be like, "Hey, you're the specialist. Here's your 10 pages. I think the problem is here. If you want to zoom in on that to try to get hit the ground running a bit, that isn't it. Don't worry about it. I got you covered. You can refer to the 10 pages. Trying to save time in both cases, whether we can or can't be more efficient in that way. And last one here is answer questions in their words. This is actually something I use all the time, and. This is something that I used to never do for people and it I was corrected over and over and over again by a boss that I had in uh, one of my co-ops and eventually I would started doing it because I just didn't believe in it for some reason and I would – basically do this. So I'll get into it. So you'll be sometimes faced with a wall of questions. Like you'll be faced with, Hey, you know, I'm new here. Like where do I log in? What's the details? What's this? Where's that? Where's this thing? Here's that. Okay. And instead of me trying to answer in paragraph form, which is what I'd normally do is I take their four questions, write, you know, two, three paragraphs, but include all the answers in those paragraphs. It's long, right? It's too much. So then sometimes I would even write it in point form. Like I would try to like shave it down to point form, but Sometimes they wouldn't get the context or maybe like the question they're asking doesn't make sense in this context. And I and like I'm answering it the way that I should. But they don't understand that that's the answer to the question that they ask because they're like, well, no, I didn't want to know where this was. I want to know where this was like I wanted to know where the restrooms were on 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 floor 10. And you're talking about floor 12. But the reason why I'm talking about floor 12 is because there is no restrooms on floor 10. And you can see where things kind of start getting misaligned. So, what my boss kept telling me to do over and over and over again, and I just wouldn't do it, and eventually I did, and I've been doing it ever since is when you go to into an email thread, you go to reply, obviously, when you scroll down, all the other prior emails are there. I literally go into their email, the one that they sent, in my reply, and I write the answer to each of their questions underneath their their question in red text, and then my quote unquote new email says." Please find the answers to your questions in the email below in red text. This allows them to understand what is going on and what questions I'm answering because it's answered in their words. It keeps the thread way cleaner. So I'm not writing these huge paragraphs or having a back and forth as to what questions I'm answering and why I'm answering them that way. And because the person and this is my assumption, but it's held true so far is because they've asked those questions in the way they've asked them they will retain the answer better i don't know that i've ever had to answer again since i've started this method i don't know that i ever have maybe once
2: it's i feel like the better. only time you would have to answer again is when someone just doesn't read the email and which happens pretty often <laughs> like so i wonder do you have any tips for people that like Have found that like when someone blatantly doesn't read your response, do you just reply back with the same response or do you have any other strategy for that?
1: I have been snarky, not like angrily, but like I've been like, man, screw this. And I've just been like, please refer to my last email. It's in there. Sometimes what I'll do is if let's say there was a set of five questions and they've read up. Clearly, they've read up to three and then the last two they didn't. And then they're just like, hey, how do I do this? And it's the same question. I won't, like, re-answer their question in that second asking of the question. I'll literally be like, hey, like, this was in my previous email. This is the answer for you or whatever. Nicely, though. And then I'll copy their question that they asked in the very first time they asked it. So, say, question four and five. And I'll copy my answer to question four and five in the red text. And I'll put that in my actual email this time and be like, this is, like, where this is. The thing with this, too, actually – is this is actually a little bit better is that a lot of the time threads will go on for way too long. So this helps condense the amount of communications, but also because threads go on too long, even when communications are condensed, some people that come in are supposed to quote unquote, read through the whole thread. This dang thing could be like a novel and this could be an emergency situation. (laughs) And so they're going to blow through it by possibly maybe not reading it at all, but possibly going through really quick. But by keeping the questions and answers together, you can actually refer to it easier. So just like how when somebody asked me again, I just literally refer to it again by copying it and pasting it again. When someone's reading through the thread, they're getting the question and answer in one read. And they can basically skip my next email because my next email is, please find your answers in red text. Right? They can skip my blurb, I guess it is, because it's all in one email. But they can skip my little blurb. They can be like, oh, yeah, I already read that. Next. So I find that this is just like a really – like, I don't know why I was so against doing this in the office. And I drove my boss nuts because he's like, why are you answering the paragraph? I'm like, it's, it's a formal email. Like, written in an office. Like, come on. And he's like, no. Like, do it like this. They don't care about the formality. And like one day, someone sent me a mega – like a mega list of, of – there was like 8 to 12 questions. And I thought, holy, holy crap. I'm going to have to write a novel. And my boss is like, this is the time. Do it. I did it. The red text method, and it worked beautifully, if it had ever gone back. So a little bit of a story, a little bit of a success story, but this is the the best way I've ever seen, and I don't see anyone else do this. Uh, the best way I've ever seen to answer answer lists of questions in in an email. Hands down.
2: Yeah. Yeah, that's uh that's a key thing. I think uh, I've I've used that method many, many times. I think just I think the the the, the red text helps. Cause that's, that draws their eye to something. And the fact that they see their own question in the email also helps relate to what you're answering. A lot of times, if you do it in paragraph form, they'll forget what they've asked Mm -hmm. and they'll see it out of context and they won't understand what you're saying. And I've had that happen tons and tons of times. So just attaching their own text to your answers is actually a really key indicator. So that's like, that's a really good suggestion, uh, but there's one more thing, like one, one quick one that I want to touch on, and that's kind of verbal communication. So with a lot of developer positions, you're going to be part of a stand-up. So you're going to be part of a process where daily you have to report on what you've actually done. And the key here, just like with everything else, is to be very much succinct. So as short as possible, but provide the information that's required. So a lot of times if you're using Jira, for instance, you'll want to refer directly to the Jira tickets that you're working on. So instead of abstractly talking about what you're, what you've done, you want to actually talk directly at what you've done in terms of, Hey, I'm working on ATB 253, like literally the ticket number. And here's what I've done. Here's what if I'm blocked or not. Right. So just be very systematic in that process because first of all it moves everything along. It makes sure that everyone has a chance to talk during the standup. And if this it just kind of creates a more structured environment for these. The point of a stand-up and the point of these meetings is to just move move as quickly through them as, as you can to make sure that no one is blocked and to allow you to keep coding after. And so that the manager or the stakeholders know that everything is moving along. Right. So that's the mindset you have to be in for those kinds of meetings. The other thing that you're going to you might have some trouble with if you didn't do this a lot in school or if you just don't have experience with it is actually speaking in public. Even though this is a small meeting, probably only like five or six people in there uh, could be more. Uh, you might be a little bit nervous. So I think if you're nervous during standups, if you're nervous during presentations, it's important to give yourself a break there and actually practice like you're just – you might not be inherently good at it and that's okay. Like not everyone is good at presenting. Not everyone is good at talking in front of people. But there are ways to get better. So, stuff like doing Toastmasters with your friends or something like that. Uh, maybe even recording short YouTube videos. Like yes, YouTube isn't public speaking. But it, in a, in if you put your mindset to it that you are actually speaking to a lot of people online – uh, you can practice doing it without actually doing it, right? Speaking to yourself in a mirror, stuff like that, like actually take steps to get better at it. And it does make a difference. Trust me, if you can communicate really well during a standup, that'll show the stakeholders, your managers, your boss, the other developers that you're in it and that you are someone that's part of the team. Whereas if you communicate poorly though- during those and either speak too much or don't give enough details and you're constantly have to, be asked to repeat something or something like that, that could put a hindrance on your progression in a company. Just, just my two cents out there.
1: Yeah, absolutely. There's, I think, I think the number one thing actually with this episode is that with all the tips and tricks that like Mike and I, Mike and I are giving you, it it allows you to sort of hit the ground running because you might find a better method to, Disconnecting than Mike, than like Mike and I are saying, where like, I'm just sort of like read the situation and just leave. (laughs) And like, you know, it's weird. Like, it's a weird situation. It's like, why am I constantly being connected? Or, you know, how do I answer these big groups of emails or, you know, et cetera, et cetera? And like, what I, what I find is that with, with this list of like tips and tricks, I hope that like whoever it is grabs all this advice that we give, uses it hopefully effectively, and then changes it for their own unique thing. And they even lets us know that they've changed it. Like the point is, is like you don't have to do exactly what Mike and I are saying, but you know, take the the knowledge that we're giving you with these tips and tricks and like try to apply them. Try to extrapolate it into your situation if your situation's different and try to like really sort of massage it so that it works specifically for you. Because you yourself are gonna be in different situations in your life. Maybe you'll become a freelancer at some point, maybe you work for somebody next time next week, whatever. And the, these productivity tips can be you know used across all these different situations. And I think it's important to be able to take them and adjust them for every little every little thing. Um, next segment, I suppose, which is actually my segment, which is communication breakdown. So one of the biggest communication breakdowns I've ever had or I've ever seen is actually usually in offices with 10 plus employees. And this seems to be about not getting the big picture so you have a bunch of teams you have you know 10 plus people you don't know who's who's responsible for what and as the population the employee population grows the issue only gets worse so let's say for example you're a brand new employee and they give you the wrong password so you're trying to get your password reset but you've you're passed around from IT team to a different IT team to another team to an administration team. And nobody knows who's responsible or who wants to do or who's able to do password resets. And then finally, the person that actually does the password resets is found. And it's a 15-second affair. But in reality, it was a two-day two, two day and 15-second affair because it took two days back and forth with emails trying to talk to all these people. So what I've actually asked employers in my in, in the past, and to combat this, is I've said, you know, give new employees the just the general, in order to get into every single team, the general lay of the land in terms of teams and responsibilities. This will help m- and mitigate employees stepping on each other's toes. So, like, say, accidentally doing somebody else's job. Let's say they're they start putting in all this ticket information, and there's a ticket management team, and they start freaking out. It's like, okay, like I didn't know that. Sorry. That just mitigates it, right? Or at least allows them to say, like, hey, can I do this ticket? It allows them to, like, realize, like, hey, I need to ask a question here, that type of thing. And also, it lessens the confusion for people asking for something like that password reset. They know, okay, there's three IT teams. I know I need to talk to one of the three. They have some place to start. There may still be some confusion, especially in very large companies. But knowing where your team is, in say the hierarchy, or in the organization, or in the uh, the logistics, or in the whatever your company's lay of the land is, getting to know that right off the hop is super important. I remember when I first started, like in an IT job, I didn't know where my job began and where the other job ended. And there was times where it was like, oh, we do everything that's on the desk, but we also do these extras. And it's sort of like, well, damn, like like you know, we really should, <laughs> I really need to know what these other teams do so that if i think something is just like a whatever's on the desk plus extra and i'm like stepping on someone else's toes like i don't want to be i don't want to be doing that i need to know like the general lay of the land so i've literally told employers tell people or give them like a roadmap like literally a sheet that says you're here these are the two teams you work with the most these then you branch out these are the other two teams you work with the most you need to call it you talk to this person you see a light burnt out you talk to facilities and even if you accidentally talk to the wrong facilities team, at least you've talked to facilities. You didn't talk to IT. Get you know hit the ground running. Understand where you are in a company's organizational structure, and more or less go from there. I feel like
2: I've never successfully had that happen. <laughs> like uh, been onboarded to a company where the structure is very clear. Um. It would be nice if it was. I don't know why it's not like just continually updated in a document or something, uh, so that people know who their direct managers are and who their managers' managers are. Because the, the, the one thing that I really don't want to do is to go over anyone's head. And I feel like they're setting you up to do that right away by not telling you who's over whose head and who, who you do need to contact with certain issues. Right. So it's, it's a strange situation that could lead to potentially very awkward situation like um very awkward communication with your managers or your whatever your team members and stuff like that um yeah it's 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 a good one to bring up
1: it it's one of those things too where i remember i told one of my former bosses and he was like he was like seriously on board with it like not not that i'm like a genius or anything you know and was like showing up the boss he even said he's like it's a really good point like how would someone come in because How would someone come in and know? Because the company makes proprietary procedures and they make up the names. One company may call it desk IT. Another one calls it desktop IT. The next people just call it general IT. Everyone just makes up a name for it. There's no legal requirement on on IT teams, at least not here. And so, you know, we need to have the lay of the land. Even if there was legal names, you still need to have the lay of the land if someone's new. So... Something to consider if you're a person that runs a department and onboards people. I would recommend writing out a roadmap or having an internal wiki that has one. Next thing here, stonewalling due to job boundaries. So some people will simply refuse to step outside of their given responsibilities. I'm sure we've all experienced this. And while I understand this from a scope creep perspective, right, they do not want to take on additional responsibilities, because they're being paid the same. They're being compensated the same. And they maybe do not want to have to take overtime. They don't want to do overtime. Because these are tasks that they're not being paid extra to do. So why would they do more time? And they don't want to become the person that the company just goes to. And says like, oh, you know, Bill's supposed to be on vacation. But screw Bill. Whatever. He'll just give up. Let's get him to do this on Sunday. And you know, have him do this on his vacation. Have this on the weekend. And stuff like that. So some people will just straight up stonewall because of job boundaries and oftentimes it's due to the lack of that roadmap or the lack of understanding where you are in the company's organizational structure that you maybe approach an employee because you're like oh this person's assistant man i got to talk to this person but they're like a very specific sysadmin and they won't even help you they won't even redirect you nothing they're just sort of like that ain't me go away type of thing because you're new in this hypothetical this can completely stump you because you do not know the lay of the land yet and this can really draw out your onboarding or just your first few tasks from something that would normally take let's say a day or a few hours in the day into a week long thing because you're trying to search for the right employee, the right team, the right procedure, all this type of thing. And so this is a big big problem. I remember in the past we've we've approached I remember that we had this ticket and I'm going to anonymize details here but we had this ticket and we found I'm not in. I wasn't on this particular software's communicate uh, on this software's QA team, but we were. We had to use this software to do some tests, and we found we found a problem, like a like a major problem. And we we approached that team, stonewalled. Nah, get out of here. Like you don't know what you're doing. You're not QA. It's like fair enough. So we go to like talk to some other people, talk to some other people, talk to some other people, and eventually somebody says, you know what, just just put it in our Jira. Don't worry about it. Okay, go to the Jira, put in the issue. Okay, literally months go by. This Jira is never corrected and little alerts are firing off that like, hey, you know, these things are undone in your Jira. But my boss says, you know, our particular team doesn't use Jira or that Jira instance anyway. So just don't worry about it. Like it'll alert. But like, what are they going to do? Like get you in trouble for not being on that team? Like it's nonsense. It's like, that's fair enough. I remember like seven months, I think it was like five to seven months after I get a message in the internal, not Slack, some other thing. And I get an internal instant message and they say, hey, did you, did you do this? Like, did you write this ticket? I'm like, yeah. He's like, is this resolved? I'm like, I don't know. He's like, what do you mean you don't know? Explain. Talk to this person, stonewalled. Talk to this person, stonewalled. Had to go up the chain. Talk to somebody else. Had to get my boss to talk to somebody. Eventually they said, put in a JIRA ticket and uh your ticket's not result he's like this is a major problem <laughs> i was like i know and he's like well, don't worry we'll fix it 15 minutes fixed done over jira ticket closed it was one id value that needed to be changed that was it in the database that was it and we found it and that's how long it took because someone stonewalled us and just wouldn't help us so what i guess what i'm trying to say is is like this is a major problem with with communications and i don't really have a solution. To scope creep or you taking on additional responsibilities but i will say that at least verbally you can at the very least direct people to someone direct direct someone to someone else and just consider that even if you're not willing to take on any scope creep which i'm not saying that you should be taking on scope creep just consider that you're we're all in the same team here i know there's like the whole stereotype that marketing hates Accounting and accounting hates IT, and IT hates accounting, and, and accounting hates the employees, and the employees hate IT. And there's all this like you know big fight in all these departments. I get it. We're all the same damn team. I don't care. Like if I have if I need some help here, I'm here not for fun. I'm here because the company needed me to do something, and I'm going to try to do it. And if you're going to stonewall me, I'm also not going to care. <laughs> like I'm I'm just I, I'm going to do what I did. I did my due diligence. I filed my Jira ticket, and I walked away. And a major issue was almost like left for a while which is not good so it's why like why stonewall to that degree sort of kind of just realize you're on each other's
2: team yeah i agree with that and i've had situations like that all the time so at this point anytime that i don't know something i will go out of my way to find someone that does that's my in- instant reaction i i We'll just be like, no, I, I don't know that, but let me ask person A, B, and C. And I'll sometimes I'll even reach out to them on behalf of this person and connect them directly so that they have a faster response time, right? Cause there's a couple people talking about it. Uh, because it's annoying. Like it's super annoying when someone just stonewalls you without any explanation. Like I get it. Sometimes you don't know the answer. That's the reality of everything, right? Like the reality of the situation. You ask the wrong person, they're not going to know the answer, but to just like, literally give that blunt of a explanation of like, nope, not my problem. That's such a slap. Like it's a slap in the face of the person asking, like you don't have to be a good uh, team member even or whatever. Like you don't have to be rah, rah community, like rah, rah family. Like that's, that stuff's dumb. I hate that stuff, but you can be a decent person and just like use your connections and make sure that the, the, the request is moved along at least. Like, I don't know.
1: (laughs) Yeah, you you could just say, hey, sorry, I'm really busy. That's not my area. I'll refer you to my manager.
2: Yeah, that's the takes like two (laughs) seconds, three extra words, four extra words. Not a big deal.
1: It's the same amount of it's the same amount of words they use to stonewall me too, telling me that we don't know what we're doing and to stay out of it. It's like you could have just sent me me the manager's name. Like (laughs) you could have just did that. (laughs) Craziness. Office politics can't handle it. Last thing here. Last communication breakdown. Proprietary procedures versus common sense. So a lot of times you go into a place and you know, they, they don't tell you absolutely everything because they think it's common sense or at least common sense for your position. Obviously, SSHing into things and getting IP addresses and stuff isn't common sense to an accountant, for example. But at the same time, for an IT person that does know IP addresses and all that stuff, they don't understand all the tax laws. Right. So common sense in your field, in your field, what you were hired to do, they expect you not to be trained on everything, maybe trained on 50 percent of the stuff. And then you figure out the rest of it via common sense or just knowing how to do it. But a lot of this stuff is not common sense. A lot of this stuff is not how the schools taught it. And a lot of this stuff is not this way. Why? Because it's proprietary, proprietary to that company's organizational structure and how they want their business conducted you're under NDA more than likely. No one's put this article online. I can't Google how your HR structure works. I can't Google how your JIRA structure works. I can't Google how you'd like things labeled. I can't Google the, the acronyms that you all use inside of the company for various teams or for various incident levels or how big, how bad a SEV1 incident is. I don't know. I have to be told this because I can't Google it and I can't be taught it by anyone but you. And these methods that are unique and proprietary to these, to these institutions, they are oftentimes left out of entrain, of training for new employees. And it's left out of training for people that have been there for a while and the procedures have been updated. They don't get updated. They don't get a training package. They don't get an email. They just all of a sudden get thrown into some new procedure using some new acronyms for some team. And it, it's like, what is going on here? (laughs) What, like, what's happening? So these uninformed employees may start implementing the tasks at hand, using common sense, not using the proprietary procedure that you're supposed to be doing, and then they'll end up having to go back and redo the task or get in trouble for it and then redo the task or get in trouble, look like a fool, and then have the task given to, oh, we'll give it to a more senior employee or something. This is just needless delays. If you have something that's proprietary and you know it's proprietary, And you have an NDA and it's not available online. Why isn't it in your training package? This has happened to me several times. It's wild. I remember asking people, like, they had specific ways that they named their branches in Git. And I asked them, what is this? And I'm anonymizing details, but what is this? And they're like, oh, it's just this. Not just this. This is not online. This special naming system is never, is not anywhere. It's what you use every day. It's a term you use and multiple different terms. You use every day for years of your life. I've been here for 15 minutes. You're talking effectively in code. It's just a branch name. What is it? Why is it named that way? Uh, yeah, let me just telepathically get that out of your... Like, get out of here. Put it in the training package. Put a label on it. Tell me what that is. Tell me that instead of saying... Master branch, you're using gym or something else. Like, tell me what it is that you're, yeah, you're using, especially if it's, if it's common, if it's proprietary and it's not just common sense. Like, sure, I need to know what SSH is as a network engineer. Great. But I don't know what, like, if you for some reason call SSH the connection terminal, we're like, the hell's a connection term? It's like, what do you mean? It's a terminal we use to connect and we SSH from it. It's like, get out of here. How am I supposed to know that? So that's my last communication breakdown piece. It's my last bit of my rant. I hate it.
2: <laughs> it might be my most hated one. I just I can't handle it. So the way I approach this one is um, unless I'm sure like 100% positive that the person knows what I'm talking about. I will give a brief explanation or a breakdown of an acronym before I continue to use it. And I've. I will admit that not 100 percent of the time, because sometimes something's so ubiquitous in my head that I can't, I I can't distance myself from it enough. But I try to do this at least. Uh, so if I'm talking about a piece of software, like let's say I'm talking to a manager about VS Code, for instance, I'll in brackets first time I use it put this is my code editor. This is where I write my code or something like that, just so they know what I'm talking about. Next time I'm, I'd expect them to understand, and I might not do that.
1: Yes, it what's good about that method is that you're not flooding them with information, so you're not spending like, you know, an hour writing the explanation. You're giving them like a little tidbit, and if they seem to pick up on it, then that's it. Or if they already knew it, you're like writing a huge paragraph you, they may think like, "Oh, this guy thinks I'm an idiot." By giving them a little bit of information allows you to like see like, do they understand this this proprietary procedure? And if they do, great. If not, you can continue to write, like you can write another thing explaining it or they'll ask. Right. Or you can just knock it off if they already know it. You just don't have to explain that stuff anymore, even in brief. Like that. That sounds like a good middle ground to me because I didn't have a a solution other than just throw it in the package. But that's a good way to handle it, especially when in an info package, you might get like 10,000, hopefully not that many, but 10,000 items. You're going to (laughs) forget, you're going to forget the acronyms because some big companies have like like a like a dictionary full of acronyms and some of them are deprecated it's like what is what is going on in here like like the word cat isn't cat it's actually computer at terminal it's like get what what's going on here i thought it was like cat six cable no it's something else oh great that's real good so that sounds like a good solution mike uh better than my just yelling and and hollering but that that's that's my piece (laughs) Uh, I think that's it for this episode, though, Uh, unless you had anything else to add, Mike. I think we've uh, covered all the uh, communication tidbits for today.
2: Yeah, no, I think we covered it.
1: All right. Well, if you like episodes like this, remember we are on Patreon. That is patreon.com slash HTML all the things. And many thanks to our $3 tier patrons. Which I'm still opening because I'm a fool every single time. Ryan Gatchel from Blue Black Digital on blueblackdigital.com. Chris from Selfmade Web Designer on selfmadewebdesigner.com. Tim from the Web Hacker on thewebhacker.com. DL Ford from DL Ford.io. for NineBlockMedia, NineBlockMedia.com. Jason from Geek Life Radio via geekliferadio.com. Uh, Michael Curie from MC Web Studio via mcwebstudio.ca. Web from YesWeb via yesweb.se. Jeff from Twitter via at the Jeff McHale and FireAntSeason via fireantseason.com. Feel free to leave a comment or a review in the platform. That you're listening to this on and this outro will sign us off you've been listening
0: to html all the things podcast Signing off.